Hey everyone, this is Jake, lead pastor of Christ City Church, East Vancouver, and I want to let you know about a few things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 2605 East Pender Street in East Vancouver for worship, word, and sacrament. Second, if you are new and you want to get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church East Vancouver is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to be a part of or hear more of what we believe God has called us to do in East Vancouver, please reach out to me at jake at christcitychurch.ca. Today's scripture readings come from passages from Exodus, Proverbs, and James. From Exodus 34, 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. From Proverbs 14, 16, and 22. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. From James. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You may be seated. And as you're being seated, let's, let's pray together. Sass the Lord for help this morning. Father, we love your word. And we don't want to stand above it or beside it even. We want to stand, we want to kneel under it. And we want to allow your Holy Spirit to come and change us that we might obey your word. And so we need your help. We need you to give us eyes to see and ears to hear the wonderful treasure that is before us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We're continuing in our series in Proverbs this morning. When it comes to Proverbs and anger, which is our topic for today, the book of Proverbs has three things it wants to say. First, that what we do with our anger really, really, really matters. Second, that if we get anger wrong, it will destroy our life. And third, if we get anger right, if we get it right, our life and the life of everyone else around us is better off for it. It's so important that we, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not this morning, get anger right. As one author wrote on his book, uh, in his book on anger, for anger is the reaction that incinerates marriages and disintegrates families. It energizes gossip and guns down classmates. It divides churches, turns friendship into enmity, and erupts in road rage. It is the stuff of every form of grievance and bitterness. Anger is an emotion found in each one of us, not just the loud and the boisterous, but also the quiet and placid. 
There was a book on anger I was reading this week, and the second chapter was Who Struggles with Anger? And all the author wrote was, You do. Chapter three. (laughs) That was it. It's an all of us problem. We all have experience with anger. Anger has touched all of our lives, and for some of us, in some deeply troubling and impactful ways. I don't need to tell you it's a problem. I don't need to create some artificial tension this morning. We all know that anger is a problem. What we need to see, what we don't know necessarily, is what the Bible Bible says about anger and how Proverbs wisely instructs angry people. But before we do that, before we do that, we're going to pull back. And we're going to consider anger more broadly in the story of the Bible. And so first point is God's anger. Second point is our anger. And third point is wisdom and anger. So Proverbs and anger. First point, God's anger. If you've read your Bible, and maybe you haven't, but maybe you've heard, God gets angry. He gets angry. And for many of you, that's a problem. You know, we want, we think we want a Zen God, right? A Zen God. A chill God. A good vibes God. But let me assure you this morning, you do not. You do not. Anger is the right and good response of a moral God to injustice and evil in our world, to injustice and evil in us. You do not want a Zen God. You do not want a chill God. You do not want a good vibes God. What kind of God would we serve if, in the face of human trafficking and genocide and abuse, we were met with a cosmic meh, a cosmic shrug? Do you want to worship that God? No, our God is a God who gets righteously angry at the sin in our world and, again, the sin in us. But the Bible, we should see that though God gets angry, never speaks of God's anger like it does, for example, God's love. You might have heard 1 John 4, 8 famously tells us that anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. Notice, though, there is no corresponding verse in the Bible that says God is anger. God is perfectly all his attributes. So God is wrathful. God is just. God is love. God is grace. God is perfectly all these things. But the testimony of Scripture is that there are some things, there are some things, some attributes that pour out of God, flow out of his character more readily than others. And so we heard Exodus 34 being read. We looked at Exodus 34 actually last week, just briefly. In Exodus 34, we find God's bio, his description of who he is. This is on his Twitter profile. It says, the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, the Lord says, here's who I am, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. Listen, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, 
keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Do do you see what our text said? Do Do you hear what it said? What is the Lord slow to do? Slow to anger. This Hebrew phrase we find here translated slow to anger is literally, he is long of nostrils. So this is a weird phrase, right? Long of nostrils, not usually a compliment that you would give to other people. Long of nostrils. But the idea here is he's not like a bull who has this short snout, right? And quickly it flares up and he's quick to anger and he's quick to react. No, by the time that the air gets, you know, from here you know, through the nose, it's cool. He, he's slow to be provoked. He's not on a hair trigger. He's long of nostrils. And while he's long of nostrils, while he's slow to anger, what is the Lord abounding in? What is he full of? What is he eager to do? He is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. The the great 18th century preacher and theologian, Jonathan Edwards, the, the same guy who once penned and preached a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, he penned these words also to help us understand the very heart of God, saying this, Edwards wrote, God has no pleasure in the destruction or calamity of persons or people. He had rather they should turn and continue in peace. And he is well pleased. That's 18th century speak for very excited. If they forsake their evil ways, that he may not have occasion to execute his wrath upon them. He is a God, listen, that delights in mercy and judgment is what Edwards calls his strange work. His strange work. So God gets angry. Though he is long-suffering, though he is patient, and aren't we glad that God's patient with us, though he is patient, though it is his strange work, He gets angry at injustice and evil in this world, and thank God he does. Unless we make this an Old Testament thing and try to pit Jesus against Yahweh, Jesus also got angry. In Mark 3, when the religious leaders put uh, ritual integrity above humanity, Jesus got mad. In Mark 10... When the disciples are turning back parents, trying to bring their kids to Jesus, Jesus got mad. Anger then, as those who bear the image of God, as those who believe Jesus to be the true picture of good humanity, ought then to function the same way in our life. That's the kind of anger we should have. But does it? I think we know the answer. Second point, our anger. Our anger. Anger more broadly defined. Anger as it exists in us can be defined a couple ways. One author wrote this. Anger is energy released 
in defense of something we love. Another author, anger is active displeasure towards something that's important enough to care about. And do you see what both those quotes are getting at? At its best, anger in us, not in God, but also in us, anger in us activates us, motivates us, fuels us to act justly and rightly. Put your cynicism aside for a second, and we'll find that it was those who had righteous indignation or righteous anger that have led and continue to lead the most noble and humanity-defending moments in this world. Martin Luther King Jr., he speaks about an evening when after winning an oratory award in some far-off place, he's riding the bus home to Atlanta. And he's riding with his teacher, and suddenly these white folks get on, and he's told to stand and, and wait in the aisles. And he stands for, for 90 minutes in that aisle all the way back to Atlanta. And, and years later, uh, he would say that this was the angriest he has ever been in his life. His daughter recently spoke of this incident. And recently she remarked that this was a fork in the road in Martin Luther King Jr.'s ministry. Where King chose to take that anger and let it work to fuel the civil rights movement. This is anger at its best. I could give you a thousand more examples. At its most God-glorifying, it is fueling righteousness, goodness, the pursuit of truth and beauty. But if we're honest, again, if I'm honest, this is seldom the anger I exhibit. This is seldom the anger I experience. Legitimate anger, what we could call legitimate anger, is far outweighed in my life and your life by what we could call lifestyle anger. Lifestyle anger. What is lifestyle anger? Lifestyle anger, what we experience, what Proverbs is talking about, takes root in us and in our culture when we lose any fixed or stable notion of what is good or right or true. See, evil today is a broad term, encompassing both overcooked eggs and a refugee crisis. Both now have become worthy of our wrath, and in reality, the eggs more so because they are on the plate in front of us. In the absence, in the absence of true morality, here's what happens. We elect ourselves as judge, jury, and executioner in the world and of our lives. And so what makes us angry today? Anything we deem worthy of our anger. That decision sits with me and with you. We quickly take counsel with our inner uh, internal judiciary system, and ten times out of ten, Unanimously, they decide that unleashing the full weight of my wrath is a just response to those dishes being left in the sink. I love the way these two biblical counselors put it. Sinful anger seizes the moral high ground, but it is a high ground manufactured by our own sovereign preferences. Make no mistake, the pull of anger is strong. 
Anger offers the intoxicating, isn't it intoxicating? The intoxicating experience of playing God, of being lawgiver, judge, and jury, and ordering the world according to what I like. Notice the book of James, which is really just New Testament wisdom literature. The book of James speaks about this dynamic. This, this anger proceeding not from a noble place of what God has said is right and wrong, but from our own sovereign preferences. James writes in James chapter 4, listen, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Why are you angry? Is it not this, that your passions are at war with you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. We could paraphrase. Question, what causes anger in you? Answer, you're not getting your way, and I'm not getting my way. Your sovereign kingdom of preferences is being imposed upon, and so you try to take back that ground with anger. And maybe it's not. Maybe it's not the kind of anger that shows itself in loud, boisterous demonstrations. Maybe it's the kind of anger, you know this kind, that lurks under the surface. See, while the Bible talks about anger as a hot emotion, the Old Testament speaks about anger being kindled and being set ablaze, there's also, isn't it true, a kind of cool anger? Right? An under-the-radar anger? The kind that has coolly decided, I will hate that person forever? The kind that's coldly declared in their heart, mark my words, I'll get even? It's perhaps more frightening than the hot kind. Lifestyle anger, again, is not a some-of-us problem. It's an all-of-us problem. Even amongst some of you today who work very hard to keep a calm and placid and cool exterior. I'm not buying it. No one's buying it. We're all angry. And, and maybe your strategy for dealing with anger up until this point has been something like take three deep breaths, right? Or maybe just remove yourself from the situation. Now, those are good strategies. I use both of them regularly. However, perhaps you've discovered that these tools only serve to manage your anger and not transform your anger. What the book of Proverbs, what Jesus invites us into is not a managed life, but a transformed life. So let's finally, halfway through the sermon, turn to Proverbs together. Point three, wisdom and anger. In Proverbs, the antidote to anger, to hot-headedness, as Solomon writes, is being slow to anger, being patient, demonstrating restraint. And so, for example, Proverbs 14.29, whoever, Solomon writes, is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. And Proverbs 15.18, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Proverbs 16.32, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, 
and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. And so it can come across, I think, quite trite, right? Well, just be slow to anger. Just be patient. It's like that famous skit, just stop it. Just stop doing it. Just be patient. Just be slow to anger. It comes across quite trite, doesn't it? See, people who are slow to anger, we will learn, and we saw this last week, it comes as we learn by the Holy Spirit, not just to stop it, not just to do something different, but in fact to love what God loves. To have our hearts reorientated as we orbit around Him. See, just like last week where steadfast love and faithfulness is the fruit of a community knowing God, not just acknowledging Him, right? It's the language of Proverbs 3, but knowing Him. So too, this week is slowness of anger, the fruit of Holy Spirit, life oriented around Jesus, transformation. And it begins, here's where it begins, very practically. It begins with renouncing and repenting of lies that we've believed about anger. And if you thought I would let, you know, off the hook without mentioning what those lies are, you're wrong. We're going to look at all the lies this morning. First lie. Here's one. Sometimes a little anger. Maybe you've said this. Sometimes a little anger, a little shouting, a little fury is what's needed to get the job done. Right? Let a little fire to their pants. Get those kids going off to wash their hands. Right, get that guy doing that job he's supposed to be doing by now. A little fire, a little anger. Proverbs says, in reality, you are only with your anger, perpetuating a cycle of anger that will one day actually revisit you. So Proverbs 15, verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And what does the angry person then go do? Says a harsh word. And what do they do? Say a harsh word to somebody else. It's a perpetual cycle of anger. Here's another lie. Men, listen up. A real man, an alpha, not a beta, but an alpha. An alpha blows off some steam sometimes, right? It's got to blow off some steam. Let somebody have it. Maybe that car next to me had the red light. Are you sure about this? Is that what a real man is? Proverbs 14.29 Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. Listen, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Translation, they're a fool. Your anger, my anger, shows us to be fools. Not alphas. Not he-man. Fools. Not godly men fit to lead like Jesus in the home and in the church. On the contrary, as Proverbs 16 puts it so powerfully, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules a spirit than he who takes a city. Like what a picture, men. What a picture of aspiration for godly masculinity. He who rules a spirit better than he who takes a city. Better than Genghis Khan. Better than Napoleon. Hear what Pastor Ray Ortland says on this verse. It's so good. Conquering a city is child's play. Is child's play compared with ruling the turbulent, 
demanding, upside world inside us. He says, the one is only the battle of a day. The other is a conflict of a lifetime. How many of the great men and women of history who accomplished truly astounding things, medical breakthroughs, wrote groundbreaking novels, conquered literal cities, were undone by their inability to rule their spirit. Let's keep going. There are more lies. Here's one. My anger is a me problem. It's a me problem. It lives and dies with me. And frankly, the fact that you're talking about it right now is none of your business. It's a me problem. Wrong. Proverbs 22, 24 to 25. Listen. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man. Why? What could go wrong? Listen. Lest you learn his ways, and what happens? And entangle yourself in a snare. And entangle yourself in a snare. As a parent, you have these sort of like these gut punch moments, right? And one of those for me as a dad is seeing my boys be angry with each other in ways that I've been angry with them. Have you ever experienced that before? Like saying the same words to each other angrily, giving the same angry looks, doing the same angry things. Anger, like all sin, it spreads. It's a communal reality. It can be learnt. And many of you learnt to be angry. The, the particular ways it's manifested might not always be repeated, might not always be the same as the generation before you, but it will spread. It will continue. So one last lie, one last lie, it's really not that big of a deal. It's really not that big of a deal. What is the end of anger? Where does anger lead? Proverbs 29, 22. A man of wrath stirs up strife. And one given to anger causes much transgression. Think of it like this. Anger is this fountainhead sin. This fountainhead sin. Employees who are the recipients of anger are more likely to steal. Children who daily receive the unjust anger of their parents more likely to lie. Lest they face it again. Anger leads to adultery, leads to murder, leads to coveting and to gossip. It is a big deal in the way it impacts other people, and it can destroy a church, including this one. But it's also a big deal in the devastation it brings to the life of the individual. Proverbs 25 says this, a man... A woman, a person without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Like a city broken into and left without walls. When our passions rule us, when our anger rules us, the inmates run the prison. 
like a city without walls. Like a city left vulnerable to the desire of the day, we are conquered and pillaged and overrun and ultimately oppressed by whatever we feel in the moment. We think we're getting freedom when we express our anger, but in fact, the opposite is true. So we keep telling these lies, right? We keep telling ourselves and other people these lies, not because they are particularly convincing. I'm not convinced by them. You're not convinced by them. We know that. But because we're afraid of the alternative. Because what's the alternative? What's the alternative? The alternative is seeing our anger for what it truly is. And I I don't want to do that. The alternative is surveying its devastation in our life and in the life of that person that we love dearly. What's the alternative? It's easier not to look. It's easier to let it stay covered up and hushed over. And it's even better if we can make up a good reason why we don't have to look at all. So what is the good news of Jesus for angry people? That's what we should be asking. What is the good news of Jesus for angry people? First, it's this. And this won't sound like good news at first, but I promise you it is. Jesus sees anger for what it truly is. He's not deceived. He's not deceived about anger in my life or anger in your life. He sees anger for what it truly is. In Matthew 5, Jesus shows us he doesn't have a lessened or diminished view of anger. In Matthew 5, in the greatest sermon ever preached, Jesus says this, listen, you have heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, such irony there, right? Proverbs has just told us that the other person's actually the fool. You fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus himself was the subject of tremendous and murderous rage. And still Jesus who sees anger in all of its ugliness, in ways that we don't even see, in ways that we're even blind to, Jesus still says, knowing full well what it means, listen, I have come not to call the righteous, but to call who? Sinners. I have come not to call the righteous, but who? Angry people. Disgruntled people. Bitter people. And so what does this mean? It means, and here you have to hear this, it means trusting that Jesus has taken the just and good and right anger of God onto himself for our evil and for our wrongdoing. Again, to quote from John, John 4.10 reads this, In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. If you don't know what propitiation means, don't worry. Ready? This word propitiation is a church word that speaks of averting the anger of God through an offering, through a gift, through a sacrifice. Jesus on the cross bears the right and just and good anger of God. He does that. 
and to trust in him, to trust in what he did today, is not only to find eternal life then, and it is, it is. It's also to open the door now to the power to be transformed today. Today. See, Jesus gives us his Holy Spirit. His Spirit who produces in us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And hear this. This is good news. To angry people like me and angry people like you, self-control. Jesus does that. Jesus promises to do that in his people. He promises to see his work to completion in all those who would bend the knee to him. He promised to do that. And so see, see this as we close. The Holy Spirit does not make us less angry people. The Holy Spirit does not make us less angry people or people who don't get angry. The Holy Spirit, he, he makes us good and angry people. People whose anger flows from loving what God loves. Anger that is not absent, but slow coming, impatient, tempered by gentleness, and guarded with self-control. People who are, as Paul commands us in Ephesians 4.26, angry and yet do not sin. May that be true of us in our church. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I am acutely aware that for many of us, we are just right now scratching the surface of the anger in our life and that it runs deep and it goes to places we didn't even know were there. And so we pray, Lord, that in your great patience, you would slowly but surely, in your timing and in your ways, Replace our sinful anger with your just and good anger. That you would teach us by your spirit to love what you love, to hate what you hate, to get angry at what you get angry at. And would you help us to crucify day by day this lifestyle anger that so controls us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.